0: I believe fully in rest, and you know I when I was running businesses, I really wanted to put lifestyle first, and what is important to my lifestyle would be rest and taking care of the central nervous system and making sure that the uh, excitement and stresses that come with running businesses without nurturing and nourishing your central nervous system and making sure that you're not just operating from flight or fight all of the time then you have the capacity to make better decisions in the hospitality world. Because in, in hospitality, we're trying to move people away from flight or fight. And that's really the root of hospitality for me, is bringing people closer to a place of rest, a place of nourishment, and a place of nurturing. So if we're particularly not doing that, then it's really hard to inspire that in others.
1: Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Well, welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't sound like Carly. I assure you, it is your gal Carly over here. I'm coming to you from a set of apparently fatigued vocal cords. Fortunately, I'm in great health. I'm not sure exactly what's going on other than my body is calling for some rest. In fact, Yesterday, I had to reschedule a client session in order to rest my throat a little bit, and I've got to be honest with you, I didn't like doing that one bit, (laughs) not at all. This recovering perfectionist, even though I know my body needs to rest, still finds it really uncomfortable sometimes to give myself what I need, but I'll tell you this much. Some of the hard-won wisdom that I have gleaned after years of trying to battle my body is... Number one, rest is wildly productive. Number two, I need more rest than I think I do. In fact, the bar in our culture for rest is just so low that any amount of rest might feel like too much in comparison to the cultural norm of getting very little at all. So I need to rest more than I think is reasonable sometimes. And number three, My body is like the finest casinos in Vegas. The house always wins. Meaning, I can listen to my body when it tells me what it needs, or I can expect to lose some chips, right? I can expect for things to only escalate until I tend to it. So, recording this episode is rather perfect timing. Because here's my body holding me accountable to what I teach, Which is, this month, as you're seeing, we are dedicating an entire series of episodes to the ways we can engage rest as a powerful, professional tool. So, maybe you caught episode 87, where I went over a brief history of where our misguided idea that rest is lazy came from within our culture, Or maybe you heard episode 88, where we went over the seven types of rest that we need and that we can access so that you could see which forms of rest you naturally gravitate to and perhaps you're already doing really well and you might just continue to lead into. Well, today, thankfully, I'm going to get to rest my vocal cords because we get to take these proven methods that we've already discussed, these case studies, the research and examples that I've shared with you, and see them in action. As you are about to hear a conversation I had with our guest, Dan Landis, who joined me for a really rich discussion about the path he's forged in the restaurant industry and now beyond. To take the well-being of himself and his staff into part of his long term growth strategy. And let me tell you, the way Dan ran his restaurants and now runs his new business that you're gonna hear about soon is night and day from the experience I had working in the restaurant industry as a server when I was in my early 20s. You see, Dan founded and owned two cultural icons in the restaurant scene Watercourse Foods and City O City, both in Denver, Colorado. Now, currently, Dan embraces a really restful and balanced, introspective lifestyle in Oaxaca, Mexico, where he lives with his family and he runs a surf hostel and a new vegan restaurant. And after some time for some major reflection that you're going to hear about in a moment, he's about to open off the bottle refill shop. This is a refill shop to help end plastic abuse forever. And I'm going to put links to both restaurants and off the bottle right here in the show notes so that you can check them out as models for working and living in a way that includes regular daily respite. I don't think we have enough models of what that looks like. And it really helps to learn from the path somebody else has forged here. Maybe you caught on the last episode when we were going over those seven types of rests, one of them was social rest, meaning learning how to discern who is it that you feel energized, inspired, or uplifting around, and who is it that you just leave feeling a little drained, even if they're a lovely human being. Well, my conversation with Dan was an example of the type of social rest that is possible when you engage with somebody who is authentic, honest, who listens as much as they speak and cannot wait to share their experience in an incredibly generous way. Dan, I am so thankful for your presence here on the show. So if you have high achieving tendencies like me (laughs) that can push you to overworking once in a while, if you don't keep an eye on it, then I cannot wait for you to hear Dan's incredibly candid, authentic, honest method for knowing when it's time to take a leap and try another way, including rest, even if it means you might get a D or an F doing it. In fact, you'll hear my big aha moment when Dan's approach immediately helped me overcome some of my perfectionist tendencies in favor of courage and curiosity and the best of what might be possible, even if The dream doesn't end up looking the way we thought it would. You're also going to hear how Dan has let his businesses evolve with him so that he could stay true to what calls him and be committed to personal growth and exploring what it means to have radical self acceptance at the same time you're hoping to make progress. So I encourage you to stay tuned for the really powerful question Dan is going to ask you towards the end of the interview. It was the kind of question that stopped me in my tracks and felt like I could expand upon my ability to not just keep doing more, but to also appreciate what is already good. I cannot wait to hear your answer to that question. So if you are in the market for a real life example of what does and doesn't work in the field of rest on the job, this is the interview for you. This episode is brought to you by The Boundary Academy. 15 years of coaching, thousands of women has taught me that it doesn't matter how good our plans, our intentions are, our network, or even our access to external resources. If we don't have the boundaries we need to honor what we care about, we will always struggle with a lack of time or energy or money or downright satisfaction. You see... Women who have thriving, healthy careers and relationships know that boundaries aren't just something nice you get to later. There's something you practice gently now so that you have the later that you want. So you can get free access to the recording of the Boundaries Brunch we did right before the Boundary Academy opened. There's a link to it in the show notes wherever you're listening or head on over to CarlyFain.com. And in this 45-minute class, you're going to learn the three mindsets that women with healthy boundaries already know and live into, plus lots of rich, candid conversation with thought leaders in the field of boundaries and women who are just getting started. There's nothing for sale in there, just rich content you're not going to get anywhere else. Because that hunch you're meant to be doing something meaningful and enjoyable with your life and career, it's right. I hope you'll join me and women from around the world that are making having boundaries oh so doable. I have got so many rich, juicy questions around what we offer out into the world and how sometimes that's not aligned with our own actions. How can we be offering restfulness or peace or respite to other people if we ourselves are frantic behind the scenes? How authentic is
0: that, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And it's transparent once you become, well, particularly if you're from the restaurant industry, or if you're from the service industry, then you can see the facade pretty quickly. And you can see through the facade pretty quickly. And one of my um, pet peeves is when I know who the manager is. If I walk into a restaurant and I know who the manager is, I, I'm like, this isn't what I want to know. I don't want to know that anybody is managing anything. I want to think that that this is just human beings acting autonomously for the comfort and well-being of the guest and then if you see a clipboard come out i've always said you know a clipboard is a is a tool of oppression because then you're like i you don't want the guest to ever be aware of that so it's difficult to, it's difficult to say that everybody that's working in a restaurant is going to be healthy and and not stressed out and not going out back and sucking down a cigarette in two and a half seconds and then getting back in to deal with the pressure there's a lot of that and it's a deeper kind of connection to the idea would be is can you create hospitality for others if you don't create a hospitable environment within yourself that's a metaphor
1: that it could extend to any area of our lives, right? Not just maybe within the hospitality industry, but within our relationships with other people, within our, you know, places that, yeah, any, any place where we interact with another person, how much can we offer them if we're not also extending?
0: Yeah, we talk a lot about um, this idea of accepting others, right? This is a big thing. Let's accept, we have to accept others. But really the challenge is, is to accept ourselves. Because how can you accept something in somebody else if you can't accept it in yourself? But the pressure is to externalize that.
1: I think you're par for the course there. You're reminding me we had a wonderful DEI guest come in recently and we were talking about inclusivity. And that's where she led from. She led from we can't talk about including other people in our organizations and our businesses if we are including ourselves in the way we make decisions throughout the day, that it'll always be a facade and we can never be fully present with somebody else if we haven't figured out how to be present with ourselves.
0: So with that, you know, it kind of goes back to this idea of I led from lifestyle first and what kind of lifestyle that I would want. So for me, as a person who really cherishes downtime and tranquility, then I have to figure out ways to create other people's inspiration to do that and other ways to, to reach that to, to recharge. And, um, you know, I can't say I did a great job at it, because that's the thing about these kinds of offerings that an employer can make to their employees is that some people will be right there with you. And they'll say, I'm going to take full advantage of the $5 yoga classes. You know, we would offset any sort of activity that you would want to do that was health related. So if it was yoga or breathing or a bike race or a running race or, a you know, one of these tough mutters or whatever it was up to $200, we would pay for the entry fee to these kinds of things. Just ways to inspire people to get out there, be active, breathe, move their bodies and recharge. And so much of that comes with training. Right. So it's not just the event. It's also five days a week. You're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm not going to drink tonight because tomorrow I have to get up and train for this upcoming event. So I figured if, if we could inspire that and what would happen is that smaller, a small group of people would say, Hey, we're going to do this relay race. And then the other people would see them doing that and they'd see the camaraderie and the team building that would happen within that. And then they, that would be a sort of positive peer pressure like going, oh, next time I want to do something like that. So it did start to inspire people that weren't necessarily motivated to do that in the beginning. They would eventually get there.
1: Okay. I'm so glad that we captured some of what you just said there because I'm just deeply appreciating your authenticity and your candidness there about how it doesn't all work, that we can put it out there, but not everybody's going to pick up on it or be interested in it. And, And so I'm wondering... What in your head or your heart wants to be heard right now? What's calling to you? What's speaking to you? What topic feels important right now?
0: Wow, that's a great question. I think the topic of of the human experience and the commonalities of the human experience, and I have been going through a, a great period of time of self-analysis and, and understanding my privilege and what that means in the world and and it's been a it's been a real dissection of my of my life and then a reassembly and part of my process with that was just reading 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 and becoming a better listener those were my two pretty much my two priorities was to talk less listen more and read as much as possible and so now through reading the amount of empathy that you can get for people that are in completely different situations than they, than you that you would never ever be able to really understand their perspective until you either get to spend time with them, which which is hard, you know, because even when you spend time with people, there's a lot of blockade to to authentic exchange. But with reading people's experiences, I've become just far more compassionate about the commonalities of our human experience, including my own and giving myself compassion. And I think in the beginning of the process, there was a lot of self-criticism, but now I'm being gentle on myself and my own experience and and the conditioning that I was put through and the, the way that I was expected to be in the world and then having to overcome those expectations and realizing that that's the journey of so many of us. It's not that that we have this great commonality between us, and I just want to keep speaking to the commonality of our struggles and our overcomings and our passions and our loves and our and our disappointments and these things that are just universal. So I think it's about creating unity through understanding. It would probably be the the big one.
1: Ah, oh, that phrase, creating unity through understanding. If you write a book, there's there's the title, right? Like there's. The title. So here's my left turn question then, because I was a server in my early 20s. That's how I I put myself through college. And my experience of that, of being in the restaurant industry at that level was this is a really intense environment. There was a lot of pressure to be on, to bring a lot of energy every day. As you were mentioning, you were talking earlier, you know, sneaking out back for for a cigarette or some other stronger substance was not an uncommon experience in the restaurant Mm -hmm. industry. And so when I hear about you as the general manager for City of City, encouraging your staff members to step away and take a breather, maybe take a yoga class because you're offering it for free or, or deeply discounting wellness for them, that's not what I was used to. That was not my experience in that industry. And so I'm so curious, what in the world, Dan, made you think, this is something I want to try?
0: It all just sort of aligned in the sense that we were opening a yoga studio in the space above City City. And so in order to generate and activate space, it's good to have cross collaboration. And so the offerings were to the yoga instructors who, you know, we had uh, vegan vegetarian restaurants that had really healthy offerings and, and lots of clients, yoga practitioners that were coming through. And in order to activate the downstairs, we said, well, why don't we give a discount? If you practice at the yoga studio upstairs, we'll give you a discount downstairs. And then as an employee benefit, then you can have a $5 yoga class upstairs. So it was sort of this cyclical exchange of, of moving bodies through mutually beneficial relationships. In some ways, it was a practical decision of how do we create cross collaborations for mutual success, which was great. But then the other side of it is that I just was watching people because the restaurant, it wasn't all wellness that we encouraged, you know, it's a bar. It was a bar. Not only was it a vegetarian, vegan restaurant, but we sold as much whiskey as we did tofu. It's a real anomaly of a, it's not the, it's not what necessarily people think of. I think now, There's more of these restaurants and bars that are popping up in other cities, but it was a full on urban scene, you know. And we opened at seven o'clock in the morning and we'd close at two o'clock in the morning. It was busy from 7 a.m. until 2 a.m., seven days a week. So these are pretty much 24 hour establishments. And when you're running a bar, it's not just the guests that are having a good time. Like a good bar is everybody is sort of in on the on the good time. And that can really wear people out. That can really burn people out. And that concerned me because it wasn't as though I was going to stop bar culture and say, this is a bar, but the employees aren't going to have a beer or a shot after a after a rush. This is the culture of a bar. But the burnout and the addiction and these kinds of things, that wasn't what I was Trying to encourage people to do. I was trying to encourage them to enjoy their jobs, have a good time, but definitely take care of themselves. And so, as an active person myself and a practitioner of yoga and a long distance runner, I was always just like, yeah, have a couple of beers, have a drink or two. But make sure you get up in the morning and drink a lot of water and that you move your body and that you break a sweat because there's just no doubt there is just no doubt that that is going to make you a better more productive human being and not just human being but when you're also in the in your position as an employee you're going to bring a better self to that position and let in, but the but the lifestyle because we're also dealing with young people 18 to 26 was sort of the demographic. And so the body is very resilient. And there's a lot of good times to be had. And these were people that were involved in music and art and a real social scene. And that social scene in Denver, and I imagine in other places as well, really revolves around drinking. And then in a lot of bars, it revolves around drugs the drinking was a part of the culture at City o City at the time that I was there but the drugs were never a part of the culture but it was always just a, a a fraction of an inch away i'm sure it was there it just wasn't in my it wasn't in my sphere it wasn't part of my interest so that concerned me because it's like you're building the foundation for the rest of your life and you're in this environment because you want to participate in it. You're in this environment because you like, if you're working the night shifts, you want to be a part of this scene. And, you know, there's lines out the door and it was, it was a blast. But if you're also not creating good habits, then, you know, you get to be 30 and you look like you're 45. You look like you're 50. And and I see it all the time because you just didn't regenerate. You didn't detox more than you retoxed. You know, you were you were in a real state of intoxication. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to be as transparent and authentic and honest as possible because I just would never want to put a shine on something that wasn't always shiny, wasn't always just rainbows and and downward dogs. It was a lot of balance. There was a lot of balance between the two realities in this place where we had the efficiency and the progressive movement of being vegetarian and vegan and having a lot of healthy offerings. But then we also had whiskey and mixed drinks and beer and, and all of these other things. So, it, so in, in a poetic way, it was very balanced. And so I think to introduce the concept of wellness inside of a real busy urban restaurant also created that balance. It wasn't a predominant thing, the twenty to twenty six year olds weren 't necessarily interested in going and doing a yoga class after their shift, but they certainly were interested in the shift drink that they had after their <laughs> where they okay. could sit around and and socialize and do that but what does that what seeds did that plant? what did that mean when they were moving forward? How did they see that in what they expected from their future employers? Did they say well, at my last job i didn 't take advantage of it, but at my last job. We got free yoga classes. How are $5 yoga classes? Can we do something like that? So I think it was, it was creating a new culture. And I think what you're speaking to is this idea that that just didn't exist before. So it exists now. And now it's far more common than it was when we started doing it six or seven years ago, maybe even longer than that, maybe 10 years ago. But now because we started it, then employees started asking that question. What are the health benefits here? Not just health insurance, but what are what are you doing to support my healthy lifestyle? Wow,
1: this reminds me of I'm, I'm making a little connection in my brain around that time in my early 20s when I was serving, having been raised in a yoga ashram, I did my hardest to rebel against that lifestyle. I wanted to do yes. whatever wasn't what my parents were doing. And I remember calling my parents midway through college and telling them that I had discovered yoga. And then I was getting, and they were so sweet about it. They let me feel like that was original to me. And that was like my own idea as if I wasn't raised doing yoga every day, you know, with a guru. But it was around that time. And it was like, that was a time where the stress in my life was mounting. My expectations were mounting. I was working shifts till two in the morning, going back to the dorm, sleeping a couple hours, going to class, you know, and then repeating and really burning myself out. But there was some seed that was blooming in me that said, wait a minute, hold on you have these other tools you could tap into if you want. That was entirely my experience was I forgot about all that intentionally. I might not push it as far away from me as I could, but when I needed to access it, if nothing else, Dan, I knew it existed as an option.
0: Exactly. It was something that was there. You could pick it up or not. And the people who picked it up, it became basically a non-negotiable for them moving forward, which is self-care is... Uh got to be baked into my career. Self-care has to be a part of my day. And in the middle of the day, like a lot of people in the middle of the day, if they were working longer shifts, they took two hours. We had an office where they could change they could get ready. They could go into the yoga studio and they could come back and decompress and then go back. And so, so let's say that 20% of the people took advantage of it, which, which is probably about right. Wow. Those 20 people, really did something for their lives that was like, self-care is part of my day. It's not this idea of separation where I go to work and then I have self-care. What happens if you can do both, if that's part of your day?
1: This conversation is so sweet to me because you remind me of, and tell me if this is true for you, the kind of that high achiever mindset. Because when we were first emailing, you said, yeah, I offered this thing, but not everybody did it. And, you know, the high achievers, like, here's the goal. I've got 93 people on my team. I'd love to see all 93 taking advantage of some wellness practice, right? That works for them. But then as we talk about it, the truth is, right, 20% did it. And that 20% ripples out. And as high achievers, it's so easy to set the bar incredibly high and sometimes miss the impact that Mm -hmm. a new idea could have and how long it takes time, you know, to set roots and for something to stick. But when you describe...
0: Yeah, 20% of your people. Think about it in these terms that even the 80% that didn't take advantage of it or took advantage of it occasionally, it became part of their consciousness. You know, they began to say, it's all about timing, right? If you're 24 working as a barista and you're in a band and that's your priority, then that's great. You, That's your time to make that your priority. But then you also go... 5 years down the road when the band breaks up and you're looking to do something else you have this thing that said I saw high achievers taking advantage of the yoga and I promise you that those were the leaders of my organization were the ones that were taking advantage of it those were the ones that were like moving through and they were grounded and they had lives outside and those are little inspirations those are people that inspire and and just like you said you don't always know The results of your intentions or the results of your actions. Sometimes that happens years later, but I really do believe that even if you were 24 and in a band and partying, you saw the people that weren't and you go, Right. "Hmm, Maybe someday I'll do that. Maybe someday I'd like to be more like that. So it did create positive role models. It did create people that, even though not everybody was doing it, the people that were, I think, were shining lights that guided from afar people that weren't there yet or just weren't interested at that moment.
1: Right. And I don't know how many times I've been on the other side of that, where I might be seeing something, but not consciously getting it until it clicks years later. And then being so appreciative of whoever it was that modeled something.
0: Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Yeah.
1: We're probably all in some state of that right now in one area or another of something finally clicking. I mean, I think even of, you know, because we're talking about yoga, I've been doing yoga for a long time, and there'll be days where a teacher will say something, you know, put your hip in this place. And I've heard that same thought for 30 years, but today it makes sense. Like today is the day I go, oh, that's what they mean. Isn't that incredible? Like 30 years of down dog, and I'm still like, oh, this is what you meant, right? Like, yeah. And that level of repetition. And consistency, that something is just there consistently, that we're seeing it and that, it's, and that it's modeled. So I'm so curious for you having transitioned, having no longer running those restaurants and Aaron told me that you're focusing now on, on a refill shop. What in the world made you be called in, in that direction? What's calling you to have such a business focus?
0: Yeah, so it's the same thing in 98 is when I opened Watercourse Foods, which is which is still going strong today. And I sold that restaurant four or five years ago. But in 98, I had come from an environmentalist background kind of uh, back in the 90s there was a radical movement of environmentalism. We were looking at the future. This is before a lot of the science was was validating a lot of the things that we were seeing. And there was a radical movement of, of environmentalists that were like, this is our moment, this is our time. The organizations just continually disintegrated with infighting, just like any, any sort of organization. It just seems like people start to get greater satisfaction from proving something to another person in the organization than doing the work. And so I just got real fed up with with activism pretty early. But I realized that, and I had been cooking and working in restaurants since I was 14, and I was 25 at the time. And I thought, well, the greatest thing that we can probably be doing as humans is it was about taking control of what you put in your body the most intimate act is to take something from the external world and putting it into your internal world and and this is one of our truly autonomous acts is i am going to consciously put this thing into my mouth and chew it and make it part of me and i thought well if we start eating lower on the food chain if we start taking responsibility for looking at you know factory farming and and creating better alternatives there's a huge market for that and it's a step in the right direction and i could make a bigger impact by being an entrepreneur and creating systems of changing the way we consume and what we consume and i was like this is my this is my calling is to is to make delicious vegan vegetarian food so it started to change the kind this is denver in 98 so it was very much a cow town this is my activism it is my activism is to create a profitable business model based on vegan vegetarian food fast forward to 2021 and it's like it's a totally different ball game but this was we were truly pioneers of this time and it was because of these efforts that we began to normalize eating lower on the food chain we took it out of the at radical activists we didn't ever really claim anything we just said oh this is just really delicious food that happens to be meat free that was it that was our only Activism was just our activism was great food and great service and it and it worked and it began to get people from all over that realized that they were just eating good food with good service and so so I thought that was a great way to to do it and now, in twenty twenty one this concept of the refill shop is consciously trying to create new models to reduce our dependency on single use plastic our dependency on single use plastic is really grotesque once you break the habit or at least acknowledge that you have a single use plastic habit it's almost as though you can't touch it anymore you can't mm. you can't consume anything without being aware that this is a single use plastic item and that that's not necessary but what are the alternatives well we don't really have any so the idea of a refill shop is that people have a cabinets full of old jars Bring in your jar, and then we have five gallons of conditioner, five gallons of shampoo, cleaners, hand soaps, all these new low-impact or zero-waste products that you can you can buy. So you become dehabitualized to single-use plastic, and it becomes a lifestyle. Just like vegan and vegetarian is also a lifestyle, breaking the use of single-use plastic is also a lifestyle because your kitchen starts to look different. And your bathroom starts to look different. And you can share that difference via social media. And you can say, look, look at this innovative way that I figured out how to do without paper towels or what I'm doing with all of my jars or whatever it is, how I'm organizing my kitchen. So it's just expansive. It's a creative endeavor. It's an artistic endeavor. And it also is an absolute step in the right direction. So Let's say 2021 is the equivalent of 1998. 98, we opened a vegan vegetarian restaurant. 2021, you know, you can buy publicly traded stocks on vegan food companies. You know, like right. it's right. it's a totally different ballgame. As an entrepreneur, I would consider that I am one of the guys that are the first through the, the door. And then people come behind me and figure out better and better ways to do it. But somebody has to take a risk and somebody has to say, hey, I identify a problem and here's a possible solution. Let's give it a try. So when opening a business, I have two questions, which is what problem are we solving and is it necessary? And with our dependency on uh, what problem are we solving is our dependency on single use plastic. Is it necessary? 100%. 100%. So then that's the green light to move forward. And that's where we just do it. We just take the risk.
1: So one of the many things I'm appreciating about what you you just outlined here is your focus has always been the same, which is actually an environmental social focus, but you've allowed the form by which you offer that focus to evolve with you, to evolve with the market, to evolve with your passions, with your interests, to evolve with what's important in, in the current day. And so in that way, as soon as you explain this, I go, Oh, it was all connected all together. To read on paper, restaurateur now doing a refill shop, you know, I have that curiosity. Well, what brought you there? But as you describe it, this is one, it sounds like a life's work just evolving.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that's a really great observation. And I appreciate that. And it is, it, it doesn't feel any different to me. Right. It doesn't feel any different, except a retail shop is, and a refill shop is a lot less variables to go wrong and guest experience, you know?
1: Right. Right. than a restaurant, you can run a restaurant and you can do a lot of things if you can survive running a restaurant. So you mentioned, so I take the risk and you said Mm -hmm. it very casually, but if somebody's listening and they're going, okay, I have a hunch too, I have something Mm -hmm. I would like to be doing in the world. And I also really deeply appreciate that you You went the route of taking your activism and letting it be a for-profit business that could then take care of you and vice versa. I I appreciate that as a model. There's so many ways to do it, but I appreciate the idea that, that that could be one way of doing it. How in the world do you get the gumption to do the risk? So you're thinking, okay, here's this hunch I have that this could be one thing to try as we try to reduce our dependency on plastics and preserve our environment. What helps you take action on the thing you want to do, even when it's it's a
0: risk? Huh. This is so funny, and this is this is the best way I can explain where that comes from. Is that I'm married to a, a beautiful woman, and we have our differences. And one of the differences that I really realized is that she basically graduated the top of her class, and I and I certainly did not. And I said. The difference between us is that I'm completely okay getting Ds and Fs and you have a problem getting Bs. Yeah. It's huge, huge. <laughs> so when you talk about gumption to do this, it's because I'm okay getting Ds and Fs. There is no fear of mine. So these, where does the difference between the person that takes the leap and takes the risk? Well, how were you in fifth grade? How did you feel when you got a B? Were you disappointed? How did you feel when you got an F? Did it did it mar you? Did you really feel like a failure or did you just go I didn't even, you know, that I earned that. I got that. So <laughs> so I think it really does come into a deeper place of what your what your comfort levels are. And so for me to take a leap like that and to say, "Hey, I've got an idea. I think this is completely spot on. Let's go for it." If it falls flat on its face, I don't internalize that I haven't stacked everything up on top of that all of my self worth and um, the risk of failure. I don't have a risk of failure. I'm used to it. I I was desensitized to failure at a very, very young age. And my partner, Juna was like straight A's and a B was worse than an F uh, was far worse than an F (laughs) for me was a B for her. You know, and I talk to a lot of people about entrepreneurship and taking that leap. And really, you either are and you do, you either are an entrepreneur and you take that leap, or you're not an entrepreneur and you stay on the solid ground. It's that leap, it's that jump that it makes all the difference. And how you do that and when you do that, well that all has to do with your market research and your you know right. your analytics and and <laughs> all of your but it' really comes down to your risk tolerance and I have a very high risk tolerance but I also have created models that I was able to get in at a very very low overhead and a very baby step kind of thing I didn't come out into the market with one point five million dollar investment and That's an F I don't want to get, you know, is that 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 kind of thing. But get in at $50,000, sign the lease, take the risk. And then knowing that if you build this business slowly and methodically, and you're in dialogue with your clientele continually, if that's your mission is to be in dialogue with your clientele, that dialogue is going to get more informative as time goes on. If you think you're going to go to market, clearly knowing exactly what the what the clientele wants and needs, and this is what they get, then you're not in dialogue. It's a little, you know, kind of a fascist entrepreneurial (laughs) idea. And it's, it's never been the way I was. It was like, let's get started. It's going to evolve. It's going to look a lot different a year from now than it does today. But if we don't get started, we'll never get started. And you're never ready. You're never prepared enough. You never did enough research, but are you willing to jump off the cliff and just say, let's do it. Let's figure it out. Keep your overhead low. That's the biggest thing that I can say is when your overhead's too high, you can't, you're not nimble enough to keep moving.
1: Right. As I would call myself a recovering perfectionist. And so I can relate to where your your wife is coming from. And and when you describe <laughs> just the simple A B C D, just that in and of itself, that small comment resonates for me because I think. Oh, yeah. If I was conscious about the fact that a D would still be a D's worth of experience, it would be a lot of learning. I would be able to use that. Then right out of the gate, I could be okay. If I recalibrate, am I willing to get a D on this thing on paper, knowing that I'll get all sorts of experience along with it? Heck yeah. Count me in, right? Count me in if D is the worst case scenario. But just that simple... A B C D. Yeah, what did, what did the F. D
0: teach me? You know, what did nice. I learn from a D? It wasn't necessarily the curriculum that I was supposed to learn, but yeah. I sure learned that I am more than a letter grade. I sure learned that I had to create a sense of self that was greater than the uh, external validation that I wasn't getting. That's a huge <sighs> lesson as a child. You know, that's a huge lesson.
1: That's a huge lesson as a forty-year-old, as a fifty-year-old, as a seventy-year-old. The idea that our validation could be internal as opposed to external. And sure, the the grade on paper, worst case scenario, is a D. And yet, what else did I learn here? How is this part of the big picture? So, are you game to do the the two way Q and A really quick with us? Yes,
0: Steve? yes. All right, yes, here yes. we go. Right. We'll, yeah, we'll have yeah, some yeah. fun.
1: This is really good. Okay. Cool. Question number one: If you came with a warning label.
0: What might it say? May not end up where said he was headed to.
1: (laughs) I love that. Well, based on our conversation, it sounds like where you end up is great. It might not be where you plan to go,
0: right? But it's all part of the evolution. It drives people (laughs) crazy. Yeah. They're like, I thought you said you were going to. and I'm like, I did say that. And I am not there. And I changed my (laughs) mind. Very fluid.
1: Permission to change our mind and to go with yeah, the flow of things. Based on our conversation, what's a question you might have for somebody listening right now?
0: I think it would be can you be committed to personal growth and radical self-acceptance at the same time?
1: You remind me of, I think it's Kate Northrup who talks about P plus P, presence plus progress. Like, can yeah. I be with what is and enjoying what is already good while having goals or ideas or things I still want to try or or live into? What a rich question that is.
0: It's one that I've just been ruminating on and, and talking with friends about, and like, can you, can you be committed to growth and radical self-acceptance at the same time? Can you do both? That's a, that's so good.
1: (laughs) Right. And what might that look like or feel like or be like?
0: Yeah. In small
1: moments, in big moments. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And if we're always committed to growth, then have we ever really committed to acceptance?
1: Right there. That meant a little part of my recovering perfectionist (laughs) tendency there is like, there it is, right? If we get too obsessed with what we want to be better at, at the 20 things we want to do differently, at the 40 things we want to learn, then what are we missing right now? And And in a culture that's very much about do more, what is it? We run on Duncan, do more as if more is always better. It really takes courage.
0: How much does that really move the needle? So if you are committed to this always improvement, well, maybe you, maybe you'll get 10% improvement after a while after you've done sort of the heavy lifting in the beginning and then you're just arguing over 10% greater than or less than instead of saying i'm totally great right right here right now it doesn't mean that improvement won't happen but we just we just are we're almost addicted to the idea that we need to be progressing and we need to be growing there are times and there are places but there's also times and places to be like i'm good
1: right those two things exist simultaneously because that to me feels like such a beautiful stretch in terms of our capacity. Can I Mm. hold both? Like the the container that we hold gets bigger if we dare to hold both of those things at the same time. Mm. Mm. So here's my last question for you, Dan. Okay. Even if other people disagree, what is one thing that you know to be true?
0: That I am beautiful.
1: Ah, you are. And thank you for modeling what that could look like to say something like that.
0: Yeah. And that's, I just, that's not coming from anything other than if I don't think so, who will?
1: There it is. You have touched on so many things that were about modeling a new way or another way, an additional way. It's really hard sometimes to live into something we haven't seen done before or on any level, or haven't conceptualized on every level. And whether it's creating space in your restaurant business for people to incorporate their well being or their longevity into their work, or having the refill shop to consider our impact on the environment, or the way we talk to ourselves. These are all things that we haven't all seen modeled before. And I appreciate, gosh, I appreciate you're willing to get a D. i am so thankful that you've been willing to get a d or even an f in that it models what else could be possible for us yeah yeah so did you catch that question from dan he said can you be committed to personal growth and radical self-acceptance at the same time I want to know from you, if radical is too much, what does 2% more self-acceptance look like? Leave that in a review over at iTunes or tell me what part of this episode landed well with you over there. Or hey, if you want to have your voice on an upcoming episode, I would love that. Just email a quick voice memo of your thoughts from this episode to Anitza, A-N-I-T-S. Z-A at everybodythrive.com. I'll put a link to that here in the show notes also. And I can give you a shout out either reading your review for you or incorporating your voice into an upcoming episode. If Dan reminds me of anything, it is that we are in a global community together. And that conversation that is open and curious paves way for all of us perhaps in ways we don't even know yet. Now, I am going to go rest my vocal cords and give my body what it needs to stay in the game for the long haul. But in the meantime, remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what it is you value, including a little radical self-acceptance. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.